0: There was a large uh, race for content during COVID. Everyone was home, all the major distributors, you know, you couldn't go out there and film for a couple of months. So then when the filmings were allowed back to start and basically everyone just started pouring money into productions across the scale from scripted, unscripted film, like everything was just getting picked up and especially because everyone was staying at home. So television really saw a huge boom. And then as things started slowing down and things started opening back up and the pandemic was slowly going away, everyone's like, holy crap, we spent all this money. Like, oh shoot. And all of a sudden, all of those budgets, all those shows everything just started getting slashed
1: i wanted to welcome my very very exciting guest mr calvin singh calvin uh my good friend uh for so many years uh maybe a little bit too long Uh, i'm super excited to have you on and uh thank you thank you so much for coming on the show Excited to be here. yeah thank you um you know before we get a little bit too detail i think since we are in overtime first i wanted to thank you calvin brought me this wonderful bottle as classy as he is of luce coco not necessary but appreciate it yeah. thank you for that can we save this though sure, for yeah. a little time yeah. quinn we could maybe chill this and have this on the next on one of the next episodes um, but, uh, other than that, I think, uh, our drink of choice tonight, you know, both of us are a little bit of whiskey drinkers. I just have some Glenn, if you're okay with it, maybe we could start it off with that. Sounds perfect. Awesome. Cheers, brother. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. I'm super excited. A lot to talk about. Um, I'm going to give you cheers. I'm going to give you, give Calvin a, a brief introduction. Um, although I won't do it justice, uh, cause I know he has a lot going on. But Calvin Singh is a uh, vice president of production at Citizen Jones, um, a non-fiction, uh, non-scripted production company uh, focusing in the documentary space. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. That's great. And um, along with that, I know you have some EP roles in certain certain spaces too, and doing some creative stuff. So overall, Calvin's a producer in the entertainment industry. Uh, had some tremendous success in his career and is um, you know keep is is going strong. So again, thanks for joining and welcome. And we're really excited to hear some of your experience uh, yeah, thank with you. your industry. Yeah, you're welcome. Excited to be here. I really admire you because because one thing I I talk about is uh, a concept called path to passion, uh, and I've I've talked about it with a lot of folks. Uh, a lot of people that are trying to get enter into their career and trying to figure out what they want to do. And, and funny story, you know, Calvin and I studied together in college, uh, or even in high school and middle school. And throughout, both most of middle school, high school, and the beginning of college, I think, if I'm not mistaken, you were on the path to go to the medical field. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, at some point you realized, and one of the one of the things I remember, and I saw the passion in the, for the first time. And I'm sure it was probably before this, but when I noticed it for the first time was when we were in community college and we took that one cinema cinema class together. Yeah, you were super into this class, and this for me it was one of the classes. Yeah, it was cool, but it was one of the electives we were going to take. Yeah, but I feel like that maybe that could have been something that was like an entrance to this could be something that I could really you know t- take a next step in. It, it was a cool class. I mean, I was learning a ton. You probably knew a lot of it, and and I remember you were just regurgitating stuff i've never seen you participate in a class as much and it it was super cool to see but at one point i think you uh you know decided hey you know what fuck it i'm gonna go after my passion i'm gonna go after uh you know what i'm super into do you remember when that was or is there is there like a moment that you had or how did how did that really work how what was that experience for you
0: yeah um let's see i think So, obviously, the passion was always there for entertainment. I've always been into it. But, you know, to me, growing up Indian American, like, to us, those aren't realistic options that our parents give us that we could go into. It's us. It's like you become a doctor, a lawyer, engineer. Like, those are your only options. There's nothing else out there for us. Right. Completely not true. Complete opposite of what I would tell my children. But, you know, it's like, you have to understand having immigrant parents, what their expectations are for their kids who are from here. Um, So, I was just, you know, just constantly telling myself since I was a kid, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a doctor, but never really stopping to be like, what is a doctor? What am, what is my daily life going to look like? What am I going to do every day when I wake up? Am I going to be happy doing this? Am I excited to go to work? And as I like was in college, I still kept working toward it, working toward it. And then it was like more toward my senior year of college of undergrad. And I was still studying. I was still completing the path. And I was just more and more, I was just like, this is not what I want to do. I don't want to wake up every day and do this. I don't have Um, I don't have the passion behind it that someone needs to, to dedicate, you know, going into medical school and then residency and all that. I just don't have that dedication to want to do this every day. It's not for me. Sure. And I, you know, I started exploring what it would be like to actually, what is the path to get into entertainment? What is it to get into television, or film? I actually, you know, I'm in television right now, but I really, my passion was for film when I really wanted to get into it. I dabble in documentary film now, but. It was just learning about what are the different ways people put your foot at the door. And, you know, obviously I shared that with my parents. They were not having it. Obviously, they were just like, what are you talking about? Like, that's not an industry for us. It's never going to be an industry for us. You're never going to succeed. You're not going uh, not to have, not not succeed, but you're never going to have stability. The doors aren't going to be open for you. You have no, you know, family ties in entertainment. Like, it's just not so... I was just like, you know, I did my research and I just kept looking and looking and then we graduated. I came back to LA after UCSD and I was, you know, studying, doing my science classes and it just like hit me one day. I was like, I need to get a job as a PA. I need to get an assistant job. I need to figure a way to get my foot in the door, just to even see if I like it. Right. I might hate it. I might walk in there and be like, what the hell is this crap? Right. This is not for me, but I was like, I want to experience it. I want to get in there and I want to see what it's like. And I, you know, I got lucky. I, a friend of Sanam, her, her in-law was a producer at a, at a production company. And she, I'd met her once and I was like telling her like, yeah, I'm pre-med. And she was pre-med back in the day and then decided to go through a producing route. And so I was telling her, oh, I've always wanted to like check it out. And so she just called me one day when I was like walking around, it was like, Hey, like I need a PA tomorrow. Like, are you available to come in? I need a PA for two days. Wow. So I jumped in there and I was like, yeah, like I was in the middle of studying for classes and I went and took uh, the PA job. I ended up staying in that company for two and a half years. I never looked back. It was the most exciting. That day one of being in there was the most exciting thing I've ever done. I mm-hmm. never looked back. I never finished any of those science classes I was in the process of doing. I never finished taking the MCAT. I just looked straight forward and said, this is where my future is. And, it, and I was like, you knew this is it. I Because you're so into it. I, I was just like, this is what a career is supposed to be. We're supposed to wake up and be so excited to go into the office every day. This is where passion comes from. This is where success will come from when you have this feeling of being like, "This is what I want to do every single day."
1: Uh, that's beautiful. And yeah. you, you, you—it's in since then. And I've seen. And I think what that first was it MRB production. MRB productions, yeah. Yeah. So, so MRB two and a half
0: years stint. Two and a half years, yeah. Left there as a assistant production coordinator. Yeah, but like. Learned the ins and outs of like nitty gritty learning production logistics and creative mostly in commercials and music videos
1: got it Hey. and you know there's a concept of for for you know folks that are just starting you know you got to do your time and we talked about this with sean um and i'm sure you did a lot and you you know you may be doing some still and it's just like how can you really you know i got i I got you know young young guys coming out of college saying they want to be xyz and i said go Go work under this person. Go, go get some experience. Really do your work for free. Work for it. Doesn't the money doesn't matter? Get get into the journey. Yeah. And and this is your this was your journey. You know, started here. You know, getting a phone call and just jumping jumping in and just never looking back and just following the journey and trusting the journey. I love that. And so you know, fast forward now you focus primarily on non-scripted television. Yeah, unscripted. Unscripted. Nonfiction.
0: Okay. Yeah. So that's our How'd you get into that? Oh God. Uh so after I left MRV I went into the freelance path So I was at a company for a long time and you know, that was like the nitty-gritty of learning all of it, like minimum wage pay. You've got to do all the dirty work, but like it you know, that's what it takes to get there. You need to learn what every single department is doing in order to learn entertainment. So I did all that. I, you know, did my time there and then I had a producer reach out to me, um, uh, what was that project that i did the first thing i think it was like a sean kingston and ti music video okay and i got asked to come and uh, j- uh be a production coordinator on that i met the producer of it and she asked me she loved me when i was there she was just like well, you know how do you know everything about this i'm like well i came from like the trenches at mrb like right we were all hands on deck type of company so i've learned everything so she actually asked me she was like do you want to come and be my assistant and production manager or production coordinate my sh- projects, depending on the budget. Well, I said, of course, and I basically became her right-hand person, and she was a big-name producer. She used to do a lot of, you know, probably every music video we grew up watching, wow. all of the heyday of MTV music videos. Um, her name's Anka Tillman. She's great. Okay. Still a lifelong friend. So I just, I became her assistant slash on her productions, depending on how large they were. I would be either a coordinator or a production manager. And I just, and I would freelance with her. So we would hop around from production company to production company and I was enjoying that. And I was basically at this point, four years into commercials and music videos. And I was like, you know, I wanna be, I'm working in logistics, which is, it still excited me a lot, but I was like, my goal was producer. Like I wanna become a producer, but I was like, I don't wanna become a producer in short form. I don't like commercials and music videos. Like I love them. I have my time in them. They're great, but I wanna do long form content. I wanna do content that has, you know, people sit down and watch it not things that are forced in front of people at commercials and music videos in a way got it um but you had to do it to get yeah yeah i i, I feel like what made me such a strong producer in television was coming from the music video commercial world because that sure. is the most difficult out of all of them in my opinion um but yeah i was after i was done with uh you know i was like i want to get into the producing right i want to start working my way up from the junior producers and you know getting my way in there whether that's going to be in tv or in film and um Another friend of ours, uh, Seppi, Maccabee, Iman's cousin, another yeah. friend of ours' cousin was a producer, had known that I was in the business. We talked all the time about it. And she was actually working on Shazza Sunset for Bravo. Ah. Yeah, so that was my foot into the door at Unscripted. Season four of Shazza Sunset. So you did season four. Yeah. What were you doing for that? Uh, so I, went into, uh, I went into a meeting with them, so I just met with all the EPs and stuff. It was like, the you know, I, I'm still friends, lifelong friends with all the producers on that show. And... I had the funniest, most interesting meeting of my life. Like I was so used to like, you know, business style production meetings and stuff. And the questions they'd ask me in the meeting were so ridiculous, but they were basically me as a person and so up my alley of what I appreciate in life. Um, the, you know, we laugh, even when I see them now, we laugh about the questions all the time that they interviewed me with. Uh-huh. But I walked out of there and I was like, well, I, guess, I was just super honest, but I was like, maybe I came off as a tool. I don't know what I came off as. <laughs> And I, just, I walked out of there, I got into the parking lot and I got a call and it was Seppy and she was like, hey, I'm going to put you in touch with my line, mit, my line producer, can you start tomorrow?
1: Wow. It's so, just like that. Just like that, yeah. It seems like there's a commonality in, in the entertainment yeah. industry where it's like you got to be ready to yeah. drop... Everything you're doing and just be down.
0: If you, yeah, yeah. If you're looking at, yeah, especially if you're interviewing. Like if you're not looking for staff positions, but if you're looking to freelance from show to show or production to production. Like yeah, there has to be this. You know, moments just come and they'll come and go. If you're not ready for them, or sometimes you just got to jump on them. Sometimes they're the wrong ones, but you know they're all lessons learned, kind of. But yeah, uh, this was a great one. I loved it. I started the next day as an associate producer on that, so I got my first producing credit. And I just started like, you know, I was actually working in episodic television. I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to watch things that people tune into purposefully, uh, Uh, be like, you know, we actually created a product that something is more, you know, it's more recognizable. There's more, um, there's just a little bit more fulfillment in it, in, in, in those like episodic and film, in my opinion. So that's where I broke That's how I got into unscripted. And then from there, I just ran up the ladder in producing and, you know, working my way from a segment producer to a supervising producer. And I loved it. That was all on the creative side. Um, But then in the process of that, I realized I hated being in the creative side of Unscripted. Yeah. And then I got an opportunity to go back into logistics, which is what I started in. And I got a line producing job offer. And I was like, I don't want to do this at first because I was like, I want to stay in producing that. And my, a friend of mine who was a, what was she at the time? She was like a VP of production at one of Mm -hmm. the big companies. um, there was a show for vh1 and she was like can you please just do me a favor i'm like i need someone right now and i did it and she was gave me a line producer edit and i fell in love with entertainment all over again i just i loved every moment of it like learned like doing the logistical and the budgeting and the business side of scripted episodic te- i mean unscripted episodic television it was like that was my forte so i just ran with it from there and then just eic head of production vp of production just working my way into that's amazing and
1: And, you know, I, I, I've been blessed with, you know, as my clients, friends, seeing a lot of entrepreneurs and, and Quinn, I think you could attest to it by just sitting in on this, on this conversation here, that passion behind, you know, what he, what Calvin's doing in his, in, in what you're, what you're doing in your work, you could even see it and feel it. And so for somebody coming in, you know, trying to work with somebody in this space, you know, myself, when I look at. Employees that I want to bring on or partners that I want to engage with in a certain uh, venture, it's really critical that one not only do they have the experience and just go to the journey, go through the journey, and two, just be super passionate. So it's it's amazing seeing seeing what you're doing and the ladders you're 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 uh, you're climbing. And so kudos to you, man. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. I wanted to take a step back though, if you don't mind, Calvin, because some of our audience. Kind of like myself a little bit, are a bit novices in the world of the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. So you're a producer, yeah. And I'm sure there are so many types of producers, but for our audience, can you please help?
0: What the fuck is a producer? <laughs> what is a producer? Yeah. Uh, in so it obviously varies. Yeah, film, television—it all varies on like what is a producer and what yeah. different role. Because there's so many different roles of producer, but the producer, producer, like you know, like the person that gets the Producers Guild of America stamp the PGA, the person that is the business mind, the logistical business mind behind a project. So that is the person that, you know, if it's in film, they're the people that find the script. And then with the script, they go and they find financing, they find distribution, you know, they're involved. It it, it is not a creative job per se, but they hire all the creatives and all the creative decisions fall on them. So at the end of the day, they are the person that approves any creative decision. So it's still a, it's basically the business of creative. And that's mm. what it is. As a producer, is they are allowing they, they trust people. They hire people. They allow them to run freely and you know go with their visions. But at the end of the day, it's their project. They are solely the sole, you know, they're the they're the backbone of the entire thing. They're the person who starts from day one, from inception of something to the last person when marketing and distribution and ev- they're the, that final eye on everything. So that that's the the typical producer.
1: So that, so that's a producer. So
0: that's a producer.
1: So I don't know. I don't know if I'm allowed to do this. I'm gonna do it with your permission anyway. But I think uh, we have an announcement that you're producing a film. In the process. You're in the process of producing a film. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about it, maybe, and and through that, give us give us you know the folks that don't really know what's behind the scenes, you know what it takes to build a whether it's a a film or television series or or whatnot give us kind of like the cliff notes version
0: if you don't mind yeah yeah i will say there's a bit, you know television and silver in like what we laugh about in the entertainment industry is they are two different worlds right they're completely separate worlds like they overlap okay. in so many aspects like you overlap with the way things are done and productions are done and what budgeting is and we follow the same paths as obviously the streamers have allowed it to be a little bit more merged now but the industries are run like completely differently so it's um it's very interesting, but I will start with film. So with this one, right. uh, we think we yeah. can't talk anything about it. So. Give us something. Come um, on. I'll try to you. Yeah, uh, it's a project with a producer from Mexico City. Okay. Was introduced to me, and they, the, they're you know predominant Mexico City based producer. They got this project up and running. They wrote a first draft. Of, they got a scriptwriter write a first draft of a script. It was a failed first attempt, and they basically got introduced to me. I sat down with them. We've had a bunch of meetings together, and we've just basically partnered up on this and we're in the process of doing a rewrite now and hiring a local producer based in LA. Um, well based in the States in general, just because the, it is an English language based, uh, film, the rom-com, um, some big name talent attached to it that I cannot talk about, but, um, okay. It's we'll a, get it out of you. No, yeah, no, I don't know about kind of a little it's bit. On the next...
1: Okay. Yeah,
0: um... <laughs> it's uh yeah, but it's a cool project. And it's like, this is, you know, this is the producing from the inception, like us, we are we're finding the scriptwriter. We're financing all of the development portion of it, like internally, and then we're going out and finding distribution. Uh, whether that's partnering with a production company or going through the indie route. Um, so there's a so there's so many different ways. One way is you know you you can partner with a production company that has first look deals places. Um, what does that mean? So you know let's just say Navidrahemian Rahimian Productions. You're a predominant produ- producer. You have a first look deal with Warner Brothers Discovery. You We partner with you. You could use this project if you're passionate about it as one of your distribution deals that you throw out with Warner Brothers. Got games. it. Yeah, yeah. That's a choice. Second choice is going directly to the distribu- distributor alone. Like Let's just say, you know, I have a great reputation with Netflix. I've done a lot of projects with them. If I took it to them and then they said they wanted it, we could partner with them and they would internally finance it and produce something like that. Or the third route, which is where I personally want this to go, is the indie, the indie route. Like okay. I had to go through the film festival route, hmm. which is... We are going to have to go out there and find our own financing, meaning we're going to, you know, once the script is done and ready and we're ready to present it, we're going to find financiers. Uh Um, Whether that's, you know, people who invest in film or it's going to be, you know, even people we know they're just looking to get their foot in the door. And then we would take the film and we would go through the festival route and try to get it into all the majors, try to get it into Toronto, um, you know, Sundance, all, all the big guys um and then pray that you know the movie's good enough where a distributor is going to come up and be like great here's your money for the budget you guys spend plus additional and plus some back end. hopefully they profit even more and that would be yeah that'd be amazing so
1: so what i mean i mean you have an audience now yeah so let's assume you know is there like a budget a budget or anything that you think
0: of for this type of film for me? For for this film? So one of the things that actually made me jump on this project, besides the story, which was amazing, was I saw how logistically feasible it was and I saw how cost effective it could be done. Oh wow, okay. And, and I saw that a, a script this good and a story this good that can hit so many different markets, it's an international film, you English language speaking, but it taps into multiple international markets because of the talent involved. in wow. the storyline. So that's like an automatic for especially for a streamer because they can ta- you know, they can make one film that is you know, broad audience, two billion people are yeah. basically are going to be getting it blasted to them in their algorithm. Wow! So I saw that as an opportunity, and then I saw how easy it's going to be. It's going to be easy, the shoot days are going to be easy. There's the and the budget of it. I just saw the overall budget. Like, this was such a you have a number, this wasn't a 50 million dollar movie, not a
1: 50 million
0: in an honest case. Yeah, I don't want it to be. We can make this movie for like seven million dollars,
1: okay? But realistically, you think you amazing, yeah,
0: maybe double that. But okay. I, I, this is an under 20 million dollar film which yeah. i think still has like that you know big fat greek wedding pop to it where like people, everyone i know would watch this your mom would watch this movie my mom would watch this movie everybody we know would watch this film it is a, it would be one of those films that everybody would just be like you have to go watch this it's such an experience it's something you've never seen before and uh if we stick with our talent that's attached to it all the way to the finish line there's going to be some uh some nice surprises that would that's exciting
1: i'm i'm super looking and looking forward to hearing yeah, and yeah. seeing the progress of it and to those who are interested and want to know more can we can we can they inquire within
0: yeah sure yeah yeah, yeah. hopefully yeah once it's ready when okay. the press release is ready to go out and things are good to go yeah.
1: okay well reach out to us and we'll get you guys in in front of the right yeah. contacts and uh um hopefully we'll have a successful film very shortly yeah. congrats again thank and you. best of luck on that venture thank you Super exciting! Now in the indie space, sometimes talent isn't as critical, right?
0: But it's not. It's not uh, if you want to get an indie that's you know going to actually get get a stride to it, there ha- there should be talent. There should be someone, and then people tied to that exactly. like main talent. Yeah, like some you know someone who has a fan base because people are going to go see their indie films because they're going to be like you know they're not getting paid a lot for these. This is an actual passion project for a lot of them right. that they actually just thought was so good that they went out there and did something not for their you know fifteen million dollar paycheck. Because you know it's an indie route, so you, people, you know, that's all that's also what gets you into the into the festival circuit. Unfortunately, is you know the bigger names. Yeah, you you group.
1: gotta have something behind it. Yeah,
0: for, you know, talent talks obviously.
1: Talent you know, talks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you know beyond that, obviously, which is what your expertise lies is the budget, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I know, I mean, maybe we could shift gears from film a little bit back to what you really know. Yeah. Maybe you could share some b- benchmark numbers of, like, for instance, in a production budget, what you're trying to margin. What 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 is what does that look like? I mean, you know, putting my accounting hat on, wanting to really understand profitability metrics of a, you know, s- we'll stick to what you're what you're best at in terms of nonfiction and uh, unscripted. Yeah. How, w- what does a budget look like? And, you know, what are, what are margins typically expectations and how does that work? What does it, talk, talk to me about the business of it a little bit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So television is obviously completely different from film the way it's done because in television, you never, there's no indie route. Okay. There's no indie route unless you're making something for YouTube. And that's just not. Right. No, we don't to talk that's about money. So there's you in television, whether it's scripted or unscripted products get taken to distributors, whether that's your streamers or your cable networks or your, you know, broadcast networks. You take production companies, take projects to the net, to the distributors, and then they f- fully finance. So they own all the rights outright to every production that they... So you are producers on it, executive producers as production companies, you do all the hiring and the entire producing of the project, but they own all rights and distribution. And That means they also fully fund the budgets. Okay. So you know, we come up with an the idea, they like the pitch. We present them with schedules, assumptions, budgets, show them all that stuff. It makes sense to them on their slate for the moment. They have the money to pay for it, they green light it, they fully finance it. So then, you know, once that's good, we're all good there. They, you know, and I'm in unscripted, we can have budgets that are like two and a half million, uh-huh. and we can have budgets that are like 20 million. Like that it varies so dramatically depending on what the project is. Unscripted is such a wide space. It's your, you know, crappy reality television. And it could also be these like super high-end, you know, massive recre projects that you're doing for Nat Geo and stuff like that. And that's all still within the unscripted space. But they vary so dramatically. But, you know, for instance, I'll just say like on a, a typical production budget, like $5 million maybe for eight episodes. Okay. That's around average. And so with that budget, with everything,
1: with uh, all the overhead and everything that comes out, what, what is a typical margin that you like to hit in, in a production budget like that in, in your space?
0: Yeah, so i then, which is part of my job because I deal with all the operations, logistics and budgeting, making sure the company's profiting is we, for first season project, we like to be in at 25%. that's like the minimum. That's like our minimum goal. If we're below 25%, we've technically kind of failed on the project. Got it. Yeah, Yeah. Unless it's an exceptional case where we have a really low-budget project that we're willing to kind of drop our margin to give more to the production. And we know that there's going to be a return down the line, whether that's more seasons in the future and it's going to be a better show. We do take the hit in certain cases, but if things stick to the books, we will always try to hit a 25% margin for a first season.
1: I see. Yeah. And so twenty five percent first season, so I'm assuming there's quite a bit of scale as seasons get green lit. Oh yeah. yeah. And so what what do they look like on average in terms of scalability of those margins? Like what's the best margin you've ever hit on a production? I
0: said
1: fifty percent before. Fifty percent. Fifty percent, yeah. Wow. On that billion dollar project. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. I
0: cannot tell you what production company that was because that's in big NBA, but it was in the past. But yeah, I it... did
1: And what season was it? Four. Four. Yeah got
0: it yeah yeah that's big those are you know those are large margins for that production company but those are and you know it's that that's a goal for any company to get that far but i mean that's a that's a rare case the ideal ideal situation is you know we will get a five to ten percent contractual bump for additional seasons after season one which will be a per episode cost so the budget's going to slightly go higher um it's getting more and more difficult these days since everyone's cutting cost as much as they can but that's contractually what we aim for and then we aim to get hit between 25 and 30% for second and third seasons then we try to go from 30 to 35% for everything after that got it yeah.
1: that's very cool some very exciting numbers but obviously they're not all success stories like they are and so i'm i'm just wondering in terms of do you know you know on average in a typical time period is there anything you know like how much production is going on in the city of LA at one time like in a matter like do you know how How much production is really going on in the, for instance, just in your space? I mean,
0: right now is a very difficult time in entertainment. Why? Well, the the, uh, Writers Guild of America strike. Uh Uh-huh. And now we have a looming Screen Actors Guild strike, which is looking daily that it's going to happen. Oh, wow. So two of the major unions go on strike. The entire business is going to shut down. Wow. It'll also probably speed up the negotiation process because there's going to be so many people out of work. But um, that is putting a huge... there There was a large... Uh, race for content during COVID. Everyone was home, all the major distributors, you know, you couldn't go out there and film for a couple of months. So then when the filmings were allowed back to start, it was a race for content. And basically everyone just started pouring money into productions f- across the scale from scripted, unscripted film, like everything was just getting picked up. And especially because everyone was staying at home. So television really saw a huge boom. Um, and then as things started slowing down and things started opening back up and the pandemic was slowly going away, everyone's like, holy crap, we spent all this money. Like, oh shoot. And all of a sudden, all of those budgets, all those shows, everything just started getting slashed. People, I know people that had, were like in final editing for like you know their last episodes and shows completely got shelved. So right. some networks, they just, you know they pumped millions of dollars into things and these things will never see the light of day just because they were just like, no, we'll take the loss. We'll take the tax credit that we're gonna get as a loss on this. And we're just not even gonna air this thing and that was almost better for them than to actually just air some projects that were fully ready to go um so there's definitely it's a, it's a difficult time in entertainment right now but there's you know it's always a cycle that you talk to people who have been in this and for 20 30 40 years they'll tell you like just hold down hold the hatchet it's going to come back this happens all the time people are scared now because the younger people are in it they're seeing their first one since the you know 2008 writers guild strike which did the same thing 10 years ago before i was in the industry so i never experienced it so when I to speak to my older colleagues and stuff, they're always laughing. They're like, "Listen, this is just how it would works. Work. There's always part of the cycle. Like part of the cycle in it. So it's just like hatch down, build up a bunch of good content, and get ready for it. But um, mm-hmm. back to your question, is just like um, at any given time right now, production is tough. as the you know screenwriters are down, so all the major talk shows are down right now. Any scripted pro- productions that were supposed to start are halted until the negotiations are done things that were already in production are allowed to continue producing but there's no writers' room so there's no edits allowed it's crazy it's crazy so a lot of places are just stopping down because of that and in a way you know people are always asking us like oh look like, how's the writers' guild affecting you guys and I'm like we work in unscripted and doc and like it's not really in- affecting us that much like it is in a portion because we're still part of that uh bigger scale entertainment problem of they spent too much money during pandemic so they're not you know green lighting as much stuff as they are but in a general sense like once the screenwriters guild went in effect like we got like six or seven like paid development deals like greenlit within two weeks wow. like funded by networks and right now we're like we're busier than we've been in the last year
1: um want want to shift gears a little bit and uh you know get a, get a little personal if that's okay i mean now, you already have my vote as the future mayor of Los Angeles because uh for those who don't know Calvin Calvin is literally there's nobody that knows more than the city about the city of the Los Angeles that I know of. And so, um, you know, we grew up together, uh, in the in the valley, which I know you have a love hate relationship with. <laughs> uh love that you're from there, but maybe you know, our our offices and our podcast is in is in Encino, and so guys, it it took me quite a bit to to get Mr. Singh to come over the hill and come back to Encino, and so <laughs> I'm I'm happy you're here. But yeah, let's let's pull it up. Let's look at the let's look at the map if you don't mind, Calvin, and just give us a little walk through. I know that you have this super cool. Maybe you could pull up that map. You have this super cool map of LA on your house in your house, right on. Drawing this one,
0: yeah. What is that? It's just an outline of the city, okay. It cuts out, it cuts out the cities in our part of well, besides like Beverly Hills and West Hollywood because they're smack in the middle. Okay. Everything else that's outlined that are not actually part of the city, like Santa Monica's missing. So, Beverly Hills is missing. No, Beverly Hills and West Hollywood are the only ones that are in here because they're in the middle, okay. But all the outskirts cities are all missing, okay. Like Santa Monica, all the South Bay cities, Torrance, you know, okay, Redondo, Manhattan Beach, all those cities are all missing. Okay, it's super super cool map.
1: What what is it? What are the little uh you
0: know? Are these the names of the community. community? All the communities, yeah. I think broken. It's detail, too. It's probably the best
1: one. Okay, um, and so where's the valley? Point me to the valley. It's like see that
0: cut no. through right there. Is that where we are right now. No, yeah, you see that are right here. in Encino, with the big E. With the big E. Okay. Yeah, so that cut through is Mulholland. That's Mulholland. Yeah. You see this line right here right below the E? Yes. That's Mulholland.
1: Ah, okay. So we're at Mulholland. Now currently you reside in in West Hollywood, right? We were actually reminiscing a few days ago and uh, talking about our good old days in L.A. and nightlife uh, in our our late teens and early 20s and mid to late 20s, and now things have changed so substantially. So so right now like i mean back in the day we used to go to what supper club and all these different clubs in hollywood but now i don't see any clubs in hollywood Like the
0: Hollywood heyday. yeah, yeah. <laughs> is that how yeah. you called it and it was yeah the pre-social media you know what i mean it was like that's why everyone went to hollywood back then because all the celebs went there they made the clubs hot they would go there and let loose and those days it just faded away you know it's like everything now is pull out your phone and record anything and i think that you know that that was i feel like that's taken you know, any of the hot spots you go to the now, there's like a no photography policy. Mm-hmm. And it's based on that. It's a it's to let them. And you still can't even, everyone has their phone out. No one actually even follows us. Right. You know, to go to Seoul, out, everyone's taking photos and stuff. It's like, no, that stuff actually means anything anymore. But I just, yeah, it was like Hollywood had its time. And it's still there. Like, don't get me wrong. Hollywood flourished into what it is now, which is like this, when we used to go back there, it was still gritty. Like no one was there. There was, you know, it was like, yeah. it was just on the up and coming. No one lived there. Yeah, people would. Uh, the whole city would go there on the weekends just to party and get out and then everybody would run back to their own neighborhoods. Like it was still a rarity for people to say they lived in like downtown Hollywood, but you know, it's like it was the it was the cool part about it. Like you walk into these old abandoned buildings that have been turned into nightclubs, and you know, you're partying with Paris Hilden and she's just running amok, and no one's recording anything. Everyone's just being crazy, right? And then. It was, it was like a different time, it feels like. It feels like that faded away. Social media took over. And when social media took over, I feel like the younger generation, like everything came more about like being flashy. Yeah. It became more about showing off. And it became more about... Upscale, like yeah. bougie living. Yeah. And it was, or it was like a split because it was like, I feel like there was a time period back then where it was like people didn't, you know, it was like you were either going to become Bobby Bottle Service. Yeah. Like a <laughs> douchebag and want to do like that... You know, really upscale style stuff. Or there was even just the people that liked nightlife, Hollywood nightlife. You know, right. those people separated and went to the East Side or went to Venice, and they're you know doing their own style of bars and you know they're they're done with that nightclub style one. So give, give me, let's fill up the map. Give me, give me the, give me the
1: geographical location of where the the nightlife people would just like the nightlife and went to the East Side. What so Venice? Venice? Venice is way west, but yeah, that's you know they're just. So where is that? Way out here. Okay. I stole the court. So that's Venice. Yeah, way out here. And so where did like the people from Silver Lake and and stuff come from? Like, how did that just all of a sudden become become a crazy hipster place and 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 then all and then with all the crazy restaurants and all that and pretty de- interesting nightlife over there we'll, we'll tell we'll tell that about yeah
0: I mean, I, uh, silver lake is its own you know own own situation it's got um it's got you know it's uh it's interesting it's like a lot of people are like oh it's like the hipster base you know again became that slowly but like silver lake was always nice it was always upscale it was close to echo park which you did not want to go to back in the day when we were younger right that's had a di- different gentrification Silver Lake was always the affordable gay community of Los Angeles. No, I didn't know that was. It was like the. It was a massive gay community. Most people, you know, associated with West Hollywood because that's like you know the L.A. County's mecca. Silver Lake was always that, and it was always the more affordable neighborhood for gay Angelenos. And I feel like that a lot of predominant entertainment people were there. There's you know the beautiful homes in the hills and the architecture. And it kind of all just like a lot of people. Things got really expensive within what Hollywood. Beverly Grove West Hollywood and people just you know it's a different type of lifestyle over there where people shifted toward going more east but still wanting to be central because they work in the creative businesses and it's a different type of creative you know there's there is you know the douchebag West Hollywood crowd yeah you know there are creatives too but it's a very different type of creative than the more independent line like um you know like a more free-spirited i guess you could say which i mean say that now silver lake is basically beverly hills these days if you drive around there really? so it's just upscale boutiques and fancy restaurants and you know it's it's a different everyone wants to act like they're free-spirited in this but it's like you know it's like people that go to burning man still
1: so well you know there's a there's like a whole thing where folks are saying you know people are saying nightlife is dead in los angeles oh, yeah everyone yeah. What's that about? What do you, what is
0: your impression? Of it? I think it's just the fading away of what I was saying, like all these clubs, like they come and then they, you know, there, there is obviously those ones that have been around for a long time and they, they do well and they have like their set group of people that go there and keep them, you know, occupied. But in a general sense, like it's not what it was when we used to go back in the day in our early twenties. Sure. Like, you know, in the 2000s.
1: Where do you think that is now? Do you think Miami has kind of that vibe now?
0: They've only, you know, they've always had it. Miami doesn't count. It's like a Vegas. Like yeah. Vegas on the water. Um, I hate that place. Um <laughs> it's uh that's a different type of that's a different type of you know, that's not a realistic city to compare LA to. It's too much of a party city. But I um, I'm New York is New York, that's always gonna be party right. capital, I think. But uh LA just it shifted it shifted the mindset people you know it's it's the land of wellness everyone wants to be healthy and yoga and thing, And don't get me wrong everyone's still partying all the time it's yeah it's shifted in like the nightlife space but I feel like recently you know things did go west most of the major clubs everyone knows about they're all in West Hollywood uh-huh. all the big name ones uh-huh. and I feel like that is um they're kind of taking the tea on that the city kind of just they greenlit all these projects they have like all these big name you know, and it's been, it's quiet thing now, but now it's like, there's a, you know, there's a bunch of ones, some that we can't even talk about that friends have shared with us that, right. people, you know, I've told you about that we can't talk about. It. And then there's ones that are now public and they're like big name, like global clubs that are coming into West Hollywood now. So it's like, you know, like you know, who, who's, who, uh, what is coming? Zook, Zook from, from Vegas, from Singapore, yeah,
1: but they have one in Vegas, Singapore, Vegas, and now LA. Well, they're all over now. They're called well, one Singapore, Hong Kong, they're like global. They're like a global club, brand. And then, so what, they're coming to L.A., where are they coming? They're opening up on La
0: Cienega in the old Nightingale space. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so that's like a big, you know, that's a big brand that's coming to invest back in L.A. nightlife instead of just something that's local. Yeah. Which is what we mostly see. You know, H. Yeah. Wood Group is everything. Right. Group just runs the whole city at this point. But- that's right. Shout out to H. Wood Group. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: And yeah, there's some cool cool other developments right There's yeah so I'm, I'm super excited about la there's that one um the one you were mentioning that you know it's been in the in the works for years i don't know where what the status is that one um hotel uh what's that thing that hotel owned by lvmh
0: oh the cheval block yes yeah. Yeah. yeah not la proper but in la county beverly hills
1: okay in beverly hills where is that where's is that is what's this do you know the
0: status of it uh, i know that they were doing another city hall meeting last week i believe or two weeks ago i'm not sure what the status of it is i think it got official green light but there has been pushback on people i know the mayor came out and had this like whole like rant <laughs> yelling about like why would people even try to fight this like do you know how much business this is going to bring into the city right um which it will it will completely change the landscape of downtown beverly hills but that's opening on Rodeo and Little Santa Monica, where the old Brooks Brothers used to be. That's exciting. They're trying to tear that down and turn it into a Cheval Blanc, which is like ultra, ultra luxurious hotel. And they'll have like five restaurants and bars and a private members club and more shops. And, you know, people are, locals are obviously worried about traffic and what that means. But it's like, you know, you're also going to add thousands and thousands of jobs, which to the city of Beverly Hills, not to LA proper, but, you know, still, still in, still in the city
1: yeah greater la yeah
0: so very cool exciting stuff fair enough i'm all for the growth and development i'm always excited to hear new things here but in the past
1: well thanks thanks for at least at the minimum coming over over the hill to
0: see us and uh,
1: talk to us and we really really appreciate it uh calvin and uh, it's been fun i think i think we're almost out of time and and yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for joining and uh, look forward to hopefully seeing you again soon and seeing some updates and progress on, you know, the world of production and our in our beautiful city of Los Angeles. Yeah, thank you. I'm happy to be here. I hope to come back soon. Thanks, man. Thank you.